chapter 11 begins with God telling Moshe that there's one more plague. Od nega echad al paro v'yal mitzrayim acherechein yishalach etchem mizeh. Kesholcho kola goresh yigoresh etchem mizeh. There's one more plague. It's interesting that in chapter 11, when it comes to the last plague, the Torah uses the term nega. Up till now, the term nega has not been used uh, at all in the plagues. But the term nega, actually, we did encounter back in the book of Genesis, in chapter 12, when Avraham goes down to Egypt, goes down to Mitzrayim, he says Sarai, his wife, is actually his sister. And Paro takes her. And the Torah says there, Vayinaga Hashem et Paro nigaim gedorim v'yet beito. So there, actually, in the first time, first descent onto Egypt, which is, one might say, a precursor to the experience of the people in Egypt, um, there the Torah did use the word nega. Here, the word nega is singled out for the last of the plagues, od nega echad and then says God to Moshe, Paro will drive you out, send you out, he'll chase out, he'll drive out, he'll let you go and drive out every one. So the language is strong, the double he will certainly chase you out, expel you from here. And then the instruction, speak please to the people, literally in the ears of the people. The people should, some interpret borrow, but here clearly the intention is not borrowing, but keeping. So they should ask, they should inquire of their friends, and each woman from her friend, vessels of silver and vessels of gold. And the Torah says, And God placed the favor of the people in the eyes of Egypt. So the people and Moshe as well were seen favorably by Pharaoh's servants and the people of Egypt. Here we see once again that the, through the course of the plagues, the position of the Israelites in Egypt has, and their recognition uh, has risen uh, enormously, not just a bunch of slaves, but a favored people. And as well, what we see is that the Torah emphasized that they were seen favorably in the eyes of Pharaoh's servants and the eyes of the people, suggesting, and this is certainly true in the larger narrative, that there's a split between Pharaoh on one hand and his people and even his servants on the other that the people have gained favor, the Israelites have gained favor in the eyes of the Egyptian people, the servants, not necessarily, not necessarily in the eyes of Paro. Now this, this, uh, this command by God to speak to the people, and they should inquire, they should ask from their friends, men and women, vessels of silver and vessels of gold, we have encountered earlier in the narrative, when God speaks to Moshe at the snap, um, at the end of chapter 3, verse number 21, I will dispose the Egyptians favorably towards the people. And when you leave, 
you will not leave empty-handed. So each woman shall borrow from her neighbor and larger in her house objects of silver and gold and clothing. She will put these on your sons and daughters. Literally to empty out or to strip the Egyptians. So what is the purpose of this requesting and taking from Egypt vessels of silver and vessels of gold and, and dresses and clothing and placing them upon your sons and daughters and he taught them at Mitzrayim. So from a narrow perspective, it of course is a fulfillment of the covenantal promise. Back in the book of Genesis chapter 15, when God spoke of the covenantal destiny, and the price one must pay, the threefold price of being a stranger, a ger, of being enslaved, being oppressed, avdut inui. God spoke of three generations of suffering. And then it said, They will weave, weave with, 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 with great possessions, with many possessions. The Torah then continued in chapter 15, You, Avram, will die in ripe old age. Vidarivi'i the fourth generation shall return to the land. When the sin of the Emori, So the covenant had two parts. Three generations, presumably, of suffering. Threefold suffering for three generations. And as far as that group of people is concerned, the Torah says, They will leave with great possessions. The fourth generation shall return to the covenantal land. So this here is a fulfillment of And in fact, if we count the generations from the beginning of the book of Exodus, the persecution began after the death of Joseph and his brothers, and all of that generation. So the persecution begins after the death of, say, Levi, Joseph's brother. Levi's son is Kahat. His grandson is Amram. And his great-grandson, the third generation of suffering, Moshe and Aaron in that generation. So this is to be a fulfillment of Yachrechen Yetzu Brichush Godol. But what is actually the purpose? What is the idea of Yachrechen Yetzu Brichush Godol? Now, Yachrechen Yetzu Brichush Godol, leaving with possessions, can be understood and is understood by some as compensation for past labor. They were forced into slavery, they weren't paid for their work. So the Brichush Godol could be seen as kind of compensation for all the labor that they were forced to do uh, without, without payment. Alternatively, it may be alluding to what we read in the book of Dvarim. There the Torah says that after the slave works for six years, when the master, the owner, is required to give the slaves all kinds of things, what the Torah calls ha'anaka, ha'nek taniklo, and presumably the idea of giving the former slave possessions is to ensure that the slave does not return to slavery. If someone is free but has no possessions whatsoever, what kind of freedom could that person enjoy? So either way, or both, it's either compensation or the idea of a fresh start. But here, the important point, I think, is for our purpose, that v'yachrechem yetzu b'chush gadol represents the fact 
that in the eyes of the Israelites, the Egyptians are recognizing their freedom. The Egyptians are freeing them. And it speaks to the fact, perhaps a sad fact, that very often the people that are persecuted still see the persecutors as the bearing of, 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 of values. In other words, to be free truly means that the Egyptians set you free. The Egyptians recognize you. And that's part of It's necessary that they be seen favorably by the persecutors. Otherwise, they don't take themselves seriously. From this perspective, the Rechush Gadol uh, may be a necessary evil, but from a certain standpoint, the Rechush Gadol is a connection to the land of Egypt and the experience of Egypt. We have to remember that this Rechush Gadol, this gold and silver, that the first things that the Israelites do with the gold is after they stood at Sinai, and Moshe went up the mountain to get instructions about building the Mishkan, this tabernacle, which will house God. The people, in the absence of Moshe, took that gold, and with it they fashioned a golden calf. So the golden calf, from that perspective, is a connection to Egypt. It's as if the Torah is saying, you may have physically left Egypt, but spiritually you're still there. Ultimately, in the book of Exodus, that very gold and other precious things are taken by the people and used to construct the Mishkan. So the first step is to, at the first point, it represents a connection to Egypt, and the and the removal of the of the gold. When Yitzaltem at Mitzrayim, it says over here, and in chapter thirty-two, chapter thirty-three, they stripped themselves of the gold. The first step was to deny the experience of Egypt. The ultimate step in the book of Exodus is to reincorporate that experience through the Mishkan. So the Rechush Gadol represents on one hand the freedom and the recognition of the persecutors that we are a free people. At the same time, because it's connected to Mitzrayim, it portends potentially something quite negative and ultimately the past experiences of suffering have to be reincorporated into what is necessary to move forward.